Welcome to the Life Point Louisville podcast. For more information about this podcast and for other resources, visit lifepointlou.org. Well, we're going to take a look at some scripture in Mark chapter 2. So if you have your Bible or your phone or however it is that you get to scripture, feel free to turn there with me. Mark chapter 2, I'm going to start reading at verse 1. And I'm going to read all the way down to verse 12. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to this paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. But Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. And so he asked them, why do you question this in your heart? Isn't it easier to say to the paralyzed man? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man that your sins are forgiven or to pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, he grabbed his mat and he walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and they praised God exclaiming, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your living, breathing word. Lord, thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, you are already so powerfully at work in this room today. So just I and just invite you for the next few minutes to speak to our, our hearts. Father, I believe that every person in this room showed up today because you have something to say to them. Help us to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So, can everybody do me a favor and take a deep breath? Oh, you guys are good. It's kind of thanks. You know, just a few weeks ago, Pastor Sean issued a mandate for this house that we would be a breathing center, that we would be a place where people could come and encounter the breath of God. He took us to Ezekiel 37, and he gave us this picture where God took this prophet to a valley that was full of dead, dry bones. And through a course of events, These bones formed back together, but they were still lifeless. 
And so God told Ezekiel to prophesy or to speak to the breath. And he did that, and Ezekiel 37.10 tells us that when God's breath came, all of these bones came to life, that they stood on their feet a great army. God's breath is power. Just a few minutes ago, I asked you to take a breath, and I'm just curious, did anyone hold that breath? Did you hold your breath, anybody? Probably not. That's because we're designed so that when we breathe in, we naturally and we automatically breathe out. There's a rhythm and a pattern to our breathing. We inhale and we exhale. The same thing is true spiritually speaking. When we breathe in the breath of God, we're meant to exhale. The breath of God inside of us is not just intended for our own benefit. When we say yes to Jesus, when we breathe in that breath, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we are empowered and commissioned to make a difference for the kingdom of God. You know, the Holy Spirit, um, we have a specific assignment. He puts us on mission. You find it in Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said it, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We become part of this great army. And then Jesus said it another way in Acts 1.8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. You know, the primary responsibility and function of the Holy Spirit is to make Jesus known. So wherever he shows up, however he chooses to show up, that's his job, that's his goal. And so for us, that means we have this supernatural enablement to reach lost people, to be on kingdom mission, to make a difference by helping people know Jesus. That's exactly what happened in Acts chapter two when the Holy Spirit came for the first time. These men were in, gathered in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came and they were supernaturally enabled to speak in languages that they didn't know how to speak on their own. And they were declaring the wonders of God and they spilled out into the streets and a crowd came and then Peter stood up and he preached the gospel. And toward the end of that chapter, scripture tells us that every day people were saved because the breath of God did not stay in that upper room. The breath of God is not meant to stay in this room either. There are people all around us who are lost broken, hurting, and God says that we have been empowered and equipped to help them. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Hasn't this been your story? You didn't know Jesus, you were far from God, and somebody showed up, and they showed you the way to Jesus, and Jesus changed your life. 
And so now what I'm saying is that you have the opportunity to do the same thing for somebody else. So what I want to say to you this morning, if I had to give this sermon a title, it would be this. Don't hold your breath. Can you guys say that with me? Don't hold your breath. Okay, great. Now what? We're not going to hold our breath. So let's circle back to Mark chapter 2. I want to unpack this story just a little bit. You know, I love the gospel of Mark. Scholars agree that it um, was the first gospel that was written down. It's short. It's only 16 chapters. And a man named John Mark wrote this gospel. He wasn't actually one of the 12 disciples, but he knew Jesus. So he wrote this gospel down. And even though it's short, it records more miracles than any other gospel. So it's really an action-packed book. Jesus was on the move. You could see what Jesus was doing more than Mark told you what he was saying. And the reason that he did this is that he wanted everybody who read his words that were inspired by the Spirit to know that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God, and that he had authority to back up what he was saying. Jesus was a whole lot more than just talk. Jesus was a whole lot more than just talk. And so we find him in chapter 2, back in what was considered home base in Capernaum. And he was preaching at the house that probably belonged to Peter and Andrew. And as the scene unfolds, we encounter these four men. And they're carrying a paralyzed man on a mat to see Jesus. We don't know how long the man was on the mat. We don't know his name. We don't know the name of these four men. We don't know how far they traveled. We don't know any of those things. We just know that they needed to go see Jesus. And so when they arrived at this house, they encountered a crowd. It was a really, really big crowd. And scripture says, that the crowd was so large that they couldn't get through, so it presented a challenge. I'd love for you to imagine with me being in a crowded room, shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow, probably not a lot of wiggle room. I probably wouldn't be in this room. Just side note, um, <laughs> makes me, I can't breathe when I get in those rooms. But anyway, they were in the room, crowded in as tightly as they could. Maybe people were spilling over into the area outside the house. There was no way that anybody could get through the door listening to your favorite preacher or teacher or worship leader. Imagine that four men show up at the edge of the crowd carrying a guy on a stretcher, somebody who obviously needed help, and nothing happens. That's what's going on here. Nobody seemed to notice these men carrying this paralyzed man on the mat. Nobody tried to help them. Nobody moved out of the way to let them through. Now, I have to say this right here. The crowd, they weren't being bad. They weren't doing anything wrong. They were there to see Jesus. But the crowd appears to have been preoccupied. And so they missed an opportunity to help somebody else get to Jesus too. And this can happen to us. How many of you have ever said that you're busy? Anybody in the room? Hey, how are you? Oh, I'm busy. Hey, how's your week? Man, it's busy. I'm busy. I get so busy sometimes that I just go right into autopilot. 
Have you ever driven from one place to the other and you don't remember how you got there? Preoccupied, that's what it looks like. Preoccupied, and so this happens to us and we can get so busy taking care of the things that we need to take care of, not bad things. But it can cause us to miss God opportunities and God moments that are right in front of us. We get a little bit disconnected from the reality that there is brokenness within our reach. And sometimes when you live in that disconnected way, complacency can set in. Here's what that looks like. Hey, I'm okay. I know Jesus. I'm going to heaven. I come to church. Let somebody else worry about those things. And have you considered that God purposely and specifically placed you in someone else's life, in someone else's story, because they need you to help them get to Jesus? Not me, not your neighbor, not your pastors, you. And so how do we avoid not being like the preoccupied people in this crowd? Well, it's pretty simple. I'm about to blow your mind. You just pay attention. Oh, that's great, Valerie. How do you pay attention? <laughs> Listen, it can look just like this. You just ask the Holy Spirit to help you see. You know what that looks like for me? In the morning before my feet hit the floor, Holy Spirit, help me see the things that you want me to see today. Help me do the things that you want me to do today. Help me recognize the God moments that you put right in front of me. And watch what he will do. Watch what he will do. And so despite this preoccupied crowd, these men persisted and they found a way to get this man in the house and in front of Jesus. I love this. These houses would have been covered by a flat roof that was made of mud, you, and leaves and branches and reinforced with wooden beams. And generally on the outside of the house, there would have been a staircase leading up to the roof. So I don't know who in the group decided that it would be a great idea to use that staircase to climb up to the roof and dig a hole. They dug a hole in the roof and they lowered this man right down in the room. Now, Jesus forgave him and he healed him. And that's my favorite part of the story. And we're gonna come back to these guys in just a minute. But there were some other folks in the room that we need to talk about first. The teachers of the law. You know, these guys, they knew all the things. They did. Very smart. They had it all together. They were really actually very committed and devoted to their service of God and to the practice of their customs and traditions. Very committed. They had a whole lot of knowledge about God. They could have answered all of your questions. But they weren't quite sure about Jesus. They weren't quite sure about him because Jesus showed up and he immediately challenged their way of thinking. He started saying things like he was the son of God and the kingdom of God was here and it was for everyone. And they're like, what? 
is he talking about? They did not like it. Ultimately, this is the very thing that led them to plot to kill him. Okay? They didn't like it. They did not like it at all. And so we find them in this room watching. Actually, they were paying very, very close attention to what was happening. And when Jesus healed this man, it actually upset them. Can you imagine that? I cannot, but it upset them. They weren't concerned about the condition of this paralyzed man on the mat. They had another agenda. And so they got upset. Jesus confronted them a bit. But the reason that they got upset ultimately is because they weren't invested in the kingdom mission. They weren't on board, and they never would be, with the thing that Jesus said he came to do, which was to seek and save the lost. So while they appeared to be very godly, on the outside, the posture of their heart told another story. And it created this internal conflict for them because their heart was out of alignment with the heart of the Father. They didn't care about the things that he most cared about. You know, when your heart gets out of alignment with the heart of God, you immediately limit how his power can work in you and through you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 talks about this. It talks about having a form of godliness, a form of godliness that lacks power. A form of godliness that lacks power. That's not what any of us want, but that's what happened. Just like these teachers, when you don't allow the breath of God to transform your heart and to change you on the inside, you don't allow that. God intends for you to be more than a passive observer. When your heart gets out of alignment with the heart of the Father, you can show up here every week. You can check all of the boxes. You can know all of the things. You can gather a lot of information and a lot of knowledge about God and still not be invested in kingdom mission. And it's another example of what happens when you hold your breath. You observe instead of engage. You sit and you watch instead of standing up and taking your place in this great army that is the church. God has more for you than that. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says it this way, that he's at work in us, giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And so again, can I encourage you to take him at his word Believe him, and then ask the Holy Spirit to give you the desire to be on mission. Ask the Holy Spirit to keep your heart in alignment with the heart of God. Ask him. It is a prayer that he is more than happy to answer. And again, the whole point of this is so that you will do something to help 
someone else get to Jesus. Do you know why? Because you know and you believe and you have seen with your own eyes that Jesus changes everything. Kind of like these four friends. I love these four friends. They were super determined to get this man to Jesus. Super determined. You know, and I love that if you read through that story, they didn't just talk about it with each other. They didn't just say, man, I wish, let's call him Bob, I wish he could get to Jesus. He really needs Jesus. They didn't say that. They didn't tell Bob, hey, hey, Jesus is over at Peter's house. Why don't you go check it out? They didn't do that. They didn't. They actually carried him all the way to this house, climbed up to a roof, and proceeded to dig a hole and lowered him down to the floor so that he was in front of Jesus. Can you imagine that? It was hard, I'm sure. It took some effort, I'm sure. It probably cost them something. You know, this wasn't their house. Have you ever thought about that? Somebody else's house, somebody else's roof. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine being in that room as dirt and debris starts to <laughs> trickle into the room over Jesus' head and the hole gets bigger and bigger and they're digging and they're digging probably with their hands because I'm sure they didn't show up with tools to dig through a roof. They're digging and they're digging and the hole is getting bigger and bigger and bigger until a grown man <laughs> descends from the ceiling into the middle of the room right in front of Jesus. Man. What effort and fortitude that must have taken. You know, Jesus responded with two miracles. He forgave his sins, and then he made him walk. And I love how Scripture says that he responded because he saw their faith. He saw it. Listen, these men, when they got their friend in the room, they didn't say one word. But their faith was evident because of what they were doing to help this man get to Jesus. That is what Jesus responded to. He didn't say a word. I love that. So here's what I want to say right here. What you believe about Jesus, it should show up in your life. What you believe about Jesus should show up in your life, and it should matter for somebody other than you. Otherwise, you're just holding your breath. James chapter 2, verse 26. Just like the body without breath is dead, so also faith without works what is it? It's dead. We don't want dead faith, do we? We're not meant to have dead faith. Now, this passage of Scripture, it's not telling you that you have to do work to earn your salvation or that you have to do work to earn God's love. That is not at all what it's saying. What it's saying is that your life should be an expression of your faith. It should be an expression of your faith, not just because of what you say, but also because of what you do. 
That's what it's saying. We have to be willing to carry people to Jesus. And so how do we do that? What does that look like? Surely I'm not standing up here recommending that you go dig a hole in somebody's roof. Of course I'm not. That's not what it looks like. But the first thing I want to remind you is this. You don't have to manage the outcome. Notice once the men got this paralyzed man into the room in front of Jesus, not only did they not say anything else, but they didn't do anything else. They didn't do anything else. Jesus does the healing. Jesus does the saving. Jesus does the fixing. That is not your job. You make the phone call. You send the text message. You schedule that coffee date. You have that dinner party. You show up with the groceries. You extend the invitation. You go and give somebody a ride to this place and have them sit right next to you. You show up for people and Jesus will honor your faith because that's what he says and he will do. And that's what he did in this situation. I think sometimes we get afraid. Anybody? Anybody want to raise your hand and say maybe you get a little afraid of that? But what if we push back against that idea and we stop showing up afraid? Afraid that we're going to do it wrong. Afraid that we're going to mess up. What if we stop showing up afraid? What if we stop believing the lie that we're unqualified or underqualified? Do you know why? Because you have the breath of God inside of you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And so this man on the mat, we don't really know much about him, but we know that he had four really great friends. We know that he had a spiritual need and a physical need. And we know that Jesus took care of both. You know, there are a lot of reasons that people can be on a mat. That mat can represent a lot of things. It might be because they don't know Jesus, but it can also be because there are things in their life that, that he needs to address. And what this story is showing us right here this morning is that Jesus is actually everything we need. You know, that's not something that we just say because it sounds good in church. Jesus is everything we need. He took care of both the physical need and the spiritual need. And he hasn't changed. This man's life was changed forever because he came into the room on a mat and he got in front of Jesus, but Jesus healed him and he walked out of that room, not only healed, but forgiven. We've all been like this man on the mat. We've been far from God in desperate need of Jesus. And somebody showed up for us. Somebody was paying attention. Somebody was on mission and determined by faith to get us where we needed to be. Do you remember? I do. I already knew Jesus, but I found myself back on a mat after my eight-month-old son, Tyler, died suddenly and unexpectedly. 
It was about two and a half weeks after his funeral and I was holed up in the guest bedroom in somebody else's house and I was devastated. I literally couldn't breathe. The breath had been knocked right out of me. And the pattern went something like this. Wake up, refuse to eat, cry and weep until I was utterly exhausted. Go back to sleep. Wake up, refuse to eat, weep until I was making myself sick and utterly exhausted and go back to sleep and repeat for days, for days. And can I tell you the truth? I really didn't care in that moment if I ever got up out of that bed. But on this particular Sunday, my pastor's wife came in the room. Her name is Miss Ann. She sat on the bed with me and she said, Valerie, you have to get up. Well, I didn't take well to that. I didn't respond well. Immediately the tears. And she said it again, Valerie, you really need to get up. I wept and pleaded and begged her to leave me alone. Let me stay in this bed. But she didn't. You know what she did? Instead, she opened the blinds. She pulled those covers back. She grabbed me by the shoulders and she physically sat me up in that bed. Then she brought me a washcloth for my face. She helped me comb my hair. She laid out my clothes. She probably helped me put them on. And before I knew what happened, she had me out of that bedroom and in the place where I needed to be in church so that I could encounter Jesus. She knew and believed something on my behalf that I didn't have the faith to believe in the moment. And she didn't just sit on it, she did something about it. And can I tell you what? I was mad. I was mad at her. I was really mad at God. And all of my problems didn't magically disappear just because I showed up that moment. But it was the beginning of my healing. And I promise you, if she had left me in that bed, I wouldn't be standing here today. And so, I wanna ask you, do you remember? Because here's the thing, when you remember what it's like to get off the mat, you can't help but want to know, to, to tell someone else, you want someone else to know how to get to Jesus because you know what's at stake. You'll be less preoccupied with things, with yourself. You'll be on mission. Your heart will be in alignment with the heart of the Father and your faith will show up in your life because Jesus changed you. And so who needs your help? Who's on your mat? Who do you know that is close to you but far from God? that needs to get to Jesus, we all know someone. And I've been asking God this week that everybody in this room would leave with a name in mind, and maybe you already know, but I believe he'll tell you if you ask him. Who do you know in your house, in your neighborhood, at your job, at the gym, at the coffee shop where you work every day that is struggling to breathe? Maybe they're suffocating under the weight of sin and they need Jesus. Or maybe they're just paralyzed by anxiety or fear or depression or sickness or addiction. 
Here's what I want you to know today. Nothing and no one is beyond his reach. But how will they know if we don't go and tell them? Thanks for listening to the LifePoint Louisville podcast. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the good news of Jesus, you can give by visiting lifepointlou.org forward slash give or text LCLOU to 77977. Thanks so much. We hope you have an incredible week.